everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Crime and Coffee Couple. My name's Allison. And my name's Mike. And we're glad to have you back here. Heck yeah, that's so for sure. So welcome. Yeah, very welcoming. Here's a welcome mat, you know, picture welcome mat on the floor. It's Allison and myself just like, hey, welcome. Come on in. We would love to tell you a little story. Yes. About um, murder and dismemberment, perhaps. Who knows? We'll see. We'll see what's coming at you today. It's not going to be good, though. I'll tell you that much right now. No surprise there. Yeah. We are a uh, husband and wife couple here. Um, Still, to this day, we are a husband and wife. We are. We have not divorced since our last episode. Yeah. Just want to give you that update every week. (laughs) We're still together. So far, so good. (laughs) Okay. And uh, yeah, we take turns telling these uh, tales. Uh, well, not tales. They're actual real stories, unfortunately. And we're not really taking turns anymore. I'm yeah, doing most of the presenting here. I was going to get to that. A lot of times, Allison jumps in front of my stories. So um, you we're going to notice that uh, probably even more so now that she's talking three out of four times. Uh, That's for the true. Month. So um, yeah, if you want to, uh, real quick, if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, give us a five-star review on that or on Spotify. You can do that as well. And then uh, leave a couple words on Apple Podcasts. Helps us out quite a bit. And we thank you very much for your help. Um, but uh, yeah, what's going on? this week with you bub oh my gosh this week has been so busy i can't catch my breath yeah just a lot going on with activities and we went to san augustine for reese's field trip on monday and then we're going back on friday for my parents 50th anniversary yeah and earlier today i went to gainesville florida for work which is a two-hour trip from here so drove four hours today uh, what six hours we did over the weekend? Six hours on Monday. We'll do six hours over the weekend. So it's a lot of driving. It is. It is. Uh, Florida is a big, long state. Um, America's penis. A lot of people say that's true. Yeah, it's kind of just dangling down there. Here we yep. are. We're crossing the penis to go to St. Augustine. Yeah, yeah. We're all over the penis. So we're not going up and down the penis. We're going across it. Right, <laughs> right. Which One is coast different. to the other. Yeah. And there's like a lot of big cities. You got Jacksonville and, you know, Tallahassee. Tampa. Tampa. Thank Miami. you. Miami. Miami, right. Sarasota, Fort Myers. I mean, a lot of, a lot of yeah. cities. So a lot of things to do down here. Um, so come on down. See Florida. It sounds like we're an ad for Florida. Well, I mean, we live here, so we like it somewhat, I would say. Yeah, I'd say so. Yeah. Um, I severely bruised my tailbone this week. So yeah. It's been not so fun. Holy shit. We moved like furniture, man. Like major, big time furniture. major furniture. It was awful. Yeah. Absol- I had no business lifting some of the stuff I was lifting. No business. And then I fell on the stairs backwards with a couch in my hands and fell right back on my tailbone on the wooden stairs. Yeah. Oh, gosh. I'm like right now I'm having a hard time. I bought one of those like donut pillow seats yeah. because oh, my drive to St. Augustine was hellish in the car. Where'd you get it from? Amazon. Oh, Amazon. Oh, oh, you do say. Okay. What's your uh, Amazon's Allison's Amazon? Oh, Amazon shoot. This week? Oh, there's some good well, ones. Well, you, you think about it a little bit. Yeah, so I'm going to have to think about it. Well, you think about that. Oh, I know. I got a water bottle holder. It's like a oh, crossbody yeah. thing. Like that a holder. satchel. Yeah. Because we were in St. Augustine, like we said, and it's hot. And I know it's still cold in parts of the country, which is hard to wrap my head around, but it was like close to 90 degrees on Monday. Yep. So I didn't want to lug around my water bottle the whole time. So I saw another, a fellow fourth grader had it. I'm like, I need that. Not that you're in fourth grade, but similar to our for daughter. For our daughter. Yeah. Um, so we take walks a lot. It'll be perfect for walks. So it's not like I'm just going to use it here and there. I, I could see myself using it actually a lot. Yeah, we'll see. Mm-hmm. I guess we'll see. And then uh, what was the other thing you mentioned? Um, I brought several things this week. <laughs> well, not only for myself. Cameron oh, wanted the, the butt um, yeah, the butt pillow. Okay. I have a pointy uh, tailbone by nature. What do they call it? Cossacks? Cossacks. Cossacks. Uh-huh. Okay. It, mine's very prominent. Um, when I went to Orange Theory Fitness for like a couple years, they have rowers. I would literally get an open wound on my tailbone from mm. rowing. 
It's my favorite it's part of your like cossacks. Abnormally prominent tailbone. Yeah, but like when you're naked, it doesn't stick out like a tail or anything. No, it's when I sit. Yeah. 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 So I haven't looked at it when you sit. Maybe I'll have to take a look. Yeah, you can inspect my tailbone while I sit. Yeah. And then like Cameron, little... our son, wanted the um, phone case that had a charger built in. So oh, yeah. I got him that too. Yeah, that's no big deal. But no, that's not for me. Nobody will use that. Yeah. Um, so you, if you want to check out these things, I'll put links in our uh, show notes like we yeah. do every week. Uh, you mentioned really quick that it's hot outside. Hot as balls here in uh, Hot Florida. As balls. If uh, you're watching this video, um, you'll notice I'm in shorts. I think I've decided to go to shorts for until December, probably. Maybe even January. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, so sorry about my knees and everything. If you're watching the video, but um, yeah, it's uh, it's, it's definitely summer here in Florida. Ninety plus degrees every single day until probably yeah mid December. Yeah, it's pretty awful. Yeah, so it's not quite as humid as it will get. Like September is the worst month here. That's when I start searching on where we can move to. Pretty much every year I do that. It's like, okay, I'm standing out at Reese's school just dripping, dripping sweats. We just got done talking about how much we like Florida, and now it's the Oh, bad no, time. Florida's a great state, actually. Yeah. I'm not going to... You know, no no place is perfect. No. Everything's got its own problems, but yeah, it's Florida's all right. a good place to be. It's all right. Better than uh, Illinois. So, um, yeah, but besides that, I mean... Um, Anything else? No, nothing else. I say we get going on this. Jump right in. Oh, real quick, I do have something. Okay, this is going to be a live reaction. Oh boy, here we go. (laughs) You know how much I love these things. They never are good news. Just be honest with me here, okay? Okay. What do you want for Mother's Day in four days? I will murder you. (laughs) This is ridiculous. We're leaving for our trip in two days, and you're asking me what I want for Mother's Day. Let's say somebody got you something for Mother's Day. What would it be? I already told you I wanted those expensive pants. Uh, they're like um, joggers, Viore or something like that. They're like eighty bucks. I wouldn't. I already expensive. sent you the link. And you know what? I couldn't find it anywhere. Expensive well, you're not going to get them in time for Mother's Day. Oh, we'll see about that. Expensive. This is pants. like how it goes. Like my whole life is. It's constantly to the last second. When's the last time that you had a bad? If I again, if I get a printout of Christmas? those pants, I that's the end. <laughs> Of our marriage? Oh, I guess, well, this might be our last episode. This then, could be case. our last episode. Huh. Well, hey, it was a good run, It's like folks. you knew Mother's Day was coming. Yeah, it just, you know, things happen. It's okay. No, things don't happen. Oh, we're good. We're fine. We'll be fine. We'll see. Yeah. All right. Anyway, tell me if you've ever heard of these, because I, I did hear of the story, but I hadn't known the details. Now, of it. keep in mind, I don't listen to a lot of true crime podcasts. Yeah. Not a lot. I mean, like, barely any. Like, I don't know that I ever heard it on a podcast. Okay. It's the Hinterkaifeck murders. Hinterkaifeck? Mm-hmm. Is it like a German guy? It's a German place. German place. Mm-hmm. Hinter. Hmm. Okay. No, I haven't. You haven't heard it? No. Okay. So this is my story for today. Interesting. Okay. So located near the woods outside of a, Bava- uh, a Bavarian town of Groburn, an hour's drive from Munich and a half mile behind or Hinter. Oh. Yes. So the word Hinter translates to behind. Kind of like hind legs. hinder you know yeah okay so um to the town of kaifek so it's literally translated to behind kaifek oh yeah that's exactly how do you spell kaifek for me k-a-i-f-e-c-k kaifek okay was the home and farm of 35 year old victoria gabriel and her two kids seven-year-old kazilia and these, I'm going to be saying a lot of german names and i'm hoping i'm saying them properly but i'm going to just do my best good luck so, Kazilia was seven years old, and she, Victoria also had a two-year-old named Joseph. Okay. She lived with her parents, 
uh, 63-year-old Andreas and his 72-year-old wife, Kazilia Gruber. So there's two Kazilias in the story. Okay. One is the grandmother who's 72. One is the seven-year-old child. Got it. So the family was often described as withdrawn. They stayed to themselves. Though on Saturday, April 1st, 1922 is when the story takes place. Ooh, way back when. Mm-hmm. Way back A hundred years. Oh. Yeah, basically almost a hundred years to the like almost a month off of it to the day wow um neighbors started to worry since the farm was unusually quiet that day seven-year-old kazilia had missed school and coffee sellers hans and edward swavarsky arrived to the farm to take an order but no one responded to the knocks on the door or the windows they walked around the yard though all was quiet they noticed the gate to the machine house was open, and then they just left the property because they saw no one. Mm-hmm. On Sunday, April 2nd, two of Victoria's friends came to get her for church. They also found no one at the farm. On April 3rd, so I'm saying Kazilia was again absent. They said she was absent on Saturday. So apparently she attended school on the weekend, oh. which I saw multiple sources that said that. Maybe that was a thing in 1922. Perhaps. Or in Germany or whatever. So Monday, April 3rd, it was her second day being absent. Um, the local postman remembered that he handed Andreas the newspaper during his delivery on Friday, March 31st, as Andreas stood by the wall getting water. I'm sorry, by the well. So um, that's the last time that the postman remembered seeing them. That was that Friday. So um, as he rounded his, his you know route on Monday, April 3rd, he saw no sign of the family. So he put the newspaper on the kitchen windowsill as he had been instructed to do so by Andreas. He was kind of surprised not to see him because they looked forward to getting the paper. Mm-hmm. So more times than not, he handed Andreas the paper. It was rare that he had actually put it on the window so that nobody was there. Maybe if they were out or something, then usually he probably knew about it too. Yeah. So, yeah. so it also stood out to him that he saw no sign of the stroller in the kitchen like he normally did with two-year-old Joseph. Hmm. Oftentimes, Joseph was in the stroller, like entertaining himself. Um, He saw none of that. So on Tuesday, April 4th, a mechanic named Albert Hoffner, he rode over to the farm on his bike to fix the engine of a feeding machine. No one responded to his knocking, so he waited for a while, and eventually he's like, I got to fix this thing. I was told to do so. I made this trip. I may as well get it done. He forced his uh, way into the engine shop to start the repairs. He was there for about four and a half hours, and he left without seeing any trace of the family. So that same day, neighbors decided to do some investigating, and Lorenz Schlittelbauer, a nearby farmer who had previously had a relationship with widowed Victoria, he led a, a like a little makeshift search party. So it sounded like the family was pretty visible out and about on the farm. Yeah. That it really stood out to people. That is like not friendly as they were. They were often visible. Yeah, sure. Like just, I mean, farm, you know, always something going on, whether it's, you know, I don't know, mowing things and pitching Tending things. to fences or using whatever. pitchforks and such. Yes. As people seem to do on farms, chickens, hens, yeah. I don't even know. Attending to all sorts of different things. Right. Um, so I read a lot of old reports of people who lived in the town that made descriptions of the family, and they weren't very positive. Huh. A lot of it was about them being like financially well off, 
kind of stingy, kind of not friendly, you know, just very geared towards not friendly. So almost like they're not sharing their riches Perhaps, or something? Perhaps, but why would they? It's right. their money. Well, maybe not necessarily giving it to others, but maybe not buying things, you know, like they should and like kind of buying it in town and, you know, from the small business owners and such. Yeah, maybe. I'm guessing, yeah. That's, Perhaps. So they weren't really liked, kind of. Yeah, yeah that was like, a gen. They weren't fond. hated. No. It's just they weren't, people weren't very fond of them. I don't think they were very warm. Mm -hmm. So Lorenz, which he was a local farmer. I think he was like on the property next to the Hinterkaifeck farm. I I don't know if the farm was called Hinterkaifeck. I think it was. Okay. So he was nearby. And so initially Lorenz sent his 16-year-old son, Johan, and his nine-year-old stepson, Joseph, to the house around 3.30 p.m. They didn't see anyone. They came home and told him, you know, we saw no sign of anybody. So Lorenz decided to get two buddies, Michael Pohl and Jacob Siegel, to head over there to check things out themselves. So their little search party was basically three of them. When the search party of three approached the barn, they found that it was locked. After breaking in, what they found was an absolute gruesome scene. Oh, no. Yeah, terrible. Inside the barn, they found four battered bodies covered in hay. In the house, they found two-year-old Joseph and the family's maid, 44-year-old Maria Baumgartner. Oh, maid, huh? Mm-hmm. It had been Maria's first day on the job. Oh, geez. Her sister walked her over that morning, visited for a bit, headed off, and left Maria at the farm. Terrible timing. She just so happened to be employed that day. Oh, no. Yep, and met her demise. Um, The previous maid had quit about six months earlier because she was convinced that the house was haunted. Mm. She, um, when she was later questioned, she told police that she had been hearing footsteps in the attic and a constant feeling of being watched, which is like my worst nightmare. Yeah, the idea that somebody could be literally living in the attic and listening and watching to your movements. Well, the kind of, that like that other story we had where the guy was living inside the wall. Yes, I thought of this exactly. That was um, Daniel, was his name? LaPlante. No, LaPlante, yeah, yes. I think I told that one. You did, and <laughs> it was literally like my worst nightmare. Oh, man, that's the whole like calls coming from inside the house yes. sort of thing. And it's one of those things like when you're in your own home, you feel like you're safe and you have privacy and you're protected. But little do you know that somebody is there watching and hearing you. It seems like an old timey thing that you feel like you're being watched. Like it doesn't seem like it pops up as much anymore. You wouldn't hear somebody being like, I feel that place is haunted. I feel like I'm being watched. It just seems like it wouldn't happen now. But it's kind of acceptable in 1922 for some reason. But she actually heard things. Yes. It wasn't like she just felt like a spirit was there and that she was being watched. She actually felt heard footsteps. Yeah. Interesting. So um, Andreas disregarded her concerns. So she ended up just leaving her position. That's how strongly she felt about it. She quit her job and left. So it sounds like they were without help for about six months. And then Maria came on board that day. First day. Friday, March 31st. So you know, the, I'm thinking is the guy, whoever it was, was in there was like, man, I missed out on the last one. I'm going to get this one first day. And, you know, I don't know if it was just so happened to be that way. I don't know if it had anything to do 
with the fact that Maria was starting that day. It just may have been incidental and unfortunate. Mm -hmm. So like I said, Maria's sister escorted her to the Hinterkaifeck farm. She stayed for a short visit. She was likely the last person to see the victims alive since it was concluded that the family had been killed on the night of March 31st, 1922. It could have also been the postman when he handed the newspaper over that day that last saw them between one of the two. But it was last confirmed that they were seen alive on Friday, March 22nd. A boy was sent on his bike to the nearby village of Wangen to alert the mayor. Inspector George Rugenberger and his colleagues from the Munich Police Department investigated the murders. When police arrived at the scene, they found dozens of people just milling about in the farm, contaminating the crime scene completely. Uh, Some were even in the kitchen making snacks. (laughs) Like, what in God's name? You have six murdered people on this farm and you're eating yeah here's the thing though in their home let's say you knew a murder happened somewhere in 1920 you know it's not like 2022 right i'm close enough uh (laughs) well i mean i'm just saying this actually took place in 1920 this is i may as well be accurate yeah yeah i thank you very much so in, in 1922 let's say a murder happened you're in a farm town and you hear like whatever a mile away there's like four dead people and six. you're like six dead people oh i the four and the and then two hey, two more okay so there's six dead people in this house you're like well let's go check it out right and let's go see the scene and see what's going on there's morbid like, curiosity right right kind of like a crime scene you know it's just like anytime there's like any activity in you know nearby we're always like oh well, why is there cops here or whatever so like you know word spreads really quick you walk over there and you're like, okay, there's a couple more people inside. Let's check it out. Let's walk inside. So you're like, well, you know, here's the, it's disgust, you know, horribly horrific. But I mean, I wouldn't be making snacks. Under no circumstances would I walk into a house that doesn't belong to me where there's two dead people in the house and four in the barn and start eating. Yeah. Like I, that's, that's weird. It's probably a little too far. I think, I think it's straight up weird. I was okay with it until I heard making snacks. Yeah. So not only were they contaminating the crime scene, making snacks, they had also moved the bodies and items around. <laughs> so the police didn't necessarily find them as they were. Yeah. They well, moved things. And I understand maybe Lorenz wanted to clearly determine what he was seeing if if they were actually deceased turn him over or something but you know when people four people are stacked on top of each other and covered in hay it doesn't look good you know odds are they're not just playing a little game of like stack the people in the barn or hide the hay hide the hay right so court physician stack the people in the barn Court physician Dr. Johann Baptiste Amuller conducted the autopsies in the farm's barn on April 5th and found that the older Kazilia had her skull cracked from seven blows to the oh, head. Oh, gosh. Ter- these are all terrible. All of them. They're brutal. Um, as well as signs of strangulation. Andreas's face was caked in blood and his skin was described as shredded with his cheekbones showing through the ragged flesh. I mean, they were like just completely brutalized. So whoever did this was a monster and it seemed like there was a lot of anger involved. Yeah, like a lot of emotion. Instead of just Mm -hmm. like killing them, it was absolutely destroying them. Yes, above and beyond. And, you know, it's like they say, don't shoot a dead horse or whatever it is. Don't beat a dead horse. Don't beat a dead horse. It's already dead. It's it's just beyond. Victoria's skull was fractured. Her skull had nine star-shaped wounds and the right side of her face had been struck by a blunt object. Huh. 
Now, young Kazelia, who was only seven, her jaw was fractured and her face and neck were covered in gaping circular wounds. I hate that so much. I know. It's it's just, it makes you sick in the stomach. Like, it sucks to hear anybody being killed, but like, especially a children. child, a like, seven-year-old child. And it only gets worse. You imagine the pain that they went through. Yeah. And it gets worse. Um, the four body, these were the four bodies that were in the barn covered in hay. And they basically said they were stacked on top of each other. Yeah. Inside the house was the maid, Maria. She was found in her room. It sounds like basically she was in her bed, as was baby Joseph. He, um, she was covered in a sheet and had blows to the face and head. Two-year-old Joseph was found in his bed or cot or bassinet, it was described as. I mean, he was only two. Mm-hmm. Um, he was in Victoria's room where she kept his bassinets. He was covered in a dress, also with blows to the face and head. It appeared that a tool called a mattock, which is basically like a pickaxe-like tool, it's used for digging, had been used. So the tool had a chisel on one end and a blade on the other. It was handheld and basically used on a farm to help dig. Mm-hmm. It appeared that the entire family would have died instantly, and this is the really, really heartbreaking part to me. Though seven-year-old Kazilia was likely alive for several hours after the murders, she was found with clumps of her own hair clutched in her hands, likely from the distress she felt laying in a barn amongst her dead family. She literally ripped her hair out and then ultimately died of stress and the injuries that she well she was endured she was also beaten but she was alive it's like her body went into shock and stress oh my god i mean just torturous she laid alive with her dying mother grandfather and grandmother holy shit this is bad sick it's sick yeah um so it said she ultimately died from shock it was likely that the killer lured the four victims to the barn one by one before attacking them with this mattock tool um, how he got them out there, I don't know. We'll never was know. it somebody that they knew? I don't know. So the killer then stacked the bodies on top of each other and covered them with hay. It's assumed that he then, or she, or they, or whoever. He's a pretty good assumption. It's usually the case. He, They, or he, or whatever, invaded the house, killing Maria and Joseph in their own rooms where perhaps they slept. It's, you know, they were both in their beds. Yeah. The search party found that the family dog, which was a Pomeranian, and the other farm animals were not only alive and well, thank goodness, but they had been clearly fed, the cows had been milked, they were all tended to in the days between the murders and their discoveries. So as everybody was seeing that the family wasn't there, this killer was there tending to the animals. Yes. That's insane. Yes. So I don't know if it was that they, you could see or hear somebody coming because people had been there. Yeah. The coffee sellers came. Victoria's friends came to bring her to church. Uh, the mailman was there. People were there. Yeah. So in the meantime, this fo- this person, this killer, was there. So whether they saw in the distance somebody approaching and then just hid themselves, that had to have been what happened. Or still there in the house or whatever. Uh, I'm assuming they were still there in the house and they just laid low yeah. and stayed quiet. Right. Because you'd probably want to see everybody in shock and everything and you know, kind of just enjoying your work. I guess exactly a sick fascination with enjoying what you just did to this yeah. family. So and the baby too, like, couldn't you just like strangle him or something? You know, I mean, it's terrible. I mean, any way of murdering a two year old is disgusting. Like, blows and despicable. to the face. Like, I, it's, I don't get it's that. It's sick. 
I, mean, I don't get the blows to the face to anybody, but it's, again, so bad with There's kids. a lot of anger and hate there, like we said. Yeah. So people had seen smoke coming from the chimney in the days between the murders and when they were discovered. So clearly this person was living in the house and helping on the farm, Jeez. milking the cows, feeding the cows, feeding the dog. Making a fire. You know, making a fire. Admitted <laughs> cooking, probably. Yeah. So Gosh. this person's living amongst four, two murdered bodies in the house with them, and then four sitting in the barn. Yeah. The police had also discovered that someone recently ate food from the house. Again, the people were snacking there, but they probably were like, oh, I didn't eat that. Apparently, meat had been cut from the pantry, and a loaf of bread had been eaten as well. So they were just, you know, munching on their sandwiches, having some cold cuts. Yeah, toasting, toasting a panini or whatever. Just die, you know, dead in the other room. Oof. So initially, police be- believed that maybe the murders were committed by vagrants, though this was later dismissed when large sums of money were found untouched in the home. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, so they did have money, like everybody was saying. Yes, they had money. I don't know how or how much, but it clearly money was not the motive for whoever did this. Wow, incredible. And I'm going to assume this one's uh, unsolved. It's unsolved. Ah, uh, damn it. Spoil the, you know, the news or break the news and tell you it is unsolved. Yeah. So despite the killer staying at the house for several days, feeding the animals, eating meals, lighting fires in the hearth, nothing had been disturbed. So it's not like they ransacked the place or anything like that. And it sounds to me that the money that was there wasn't like well hidden. I guess it was pretty easily found. Yeah, I just assumed that for some reason. I don't yeah. know why. But I think it was assumed that because the person didn't take it. Yeah. So more than 100 suspects were interviewed, including local residents and transients. For whatever reason, mechanic Albert Hoffner, who had gone to the farm that day and spent four and a half hours fixing that machine, he hadn't been um, questioned until 1933. (laughs) Well, they took their time with the case. 11 years later. They wanted to take a lot of time and make sure they crossed every T. Which is bizarre because he was like, he was there on the farm. Probably one of the guys you want to talk to. Like you talk to him right away, rule him out. I'm not saying Albert did it, but it's just bizarre that they waited 11 years. Yeah. The last interrogations were held in 1986. Holy shit. People still alive then? I mean, I guess certain people, maybe. Yeah, crazy. It was 60, what, four? 64 years later. Um, Though those investigations or interrogations led nowhere. In 1999, an elderly woman approached police saying that her ex-landlord claimed knowledge of the murders, but without a live suspect, it led nowhere. Like... The, the person told them this person ages ago since passed away and she waited until 1999 to tell police maybe she was afraid of that it's person like, doing something perhaps i mean yeah. there was nothing they could do the person was dead all well, now yeah despite andreas not believing the former maid about the house being haunted he had definitely confided in neighbors about recent strange happenings at the farmhouse in the days before the murders he mentioned finding a newspaper in the house that he didn't buy which you could oh, see weird. an investigation of. He approached the mailman, and the mailman, um, and he was questioned about like, "Hey, did you accidentally deliver this to the wrong house? Because I found it in my house." The mailman's like, "No, I don't. I don't have that in my route. This nobody is a s- subscription to this paper." Oh, so he so it was a different paper, like different company and everything. Yes, yes. Huh. So the newspaper belonged to nobody wow. that he knew. Um, also. He um, found footsteps from the snow, I guess it had freshly snowed, that he noticed Thursday morning, the day before the murders, on March 30th, 
Um, There were two sets of footprints leading from the forest to the farmhouse, none leading away from it. Andreas found that the engine shed had been broken into, though nothing had been taken. One of the two house keys had also vanished. After hearing about this, a neighbor, which I believe was Lorenz who actually found them, offered his revolver to Andreas, but he declined. It was likely that not only did the murderer live in the house for days after brutalizing the family, but it's possible that he had lived there for a prolonged period of time, hence the maid quitting because she was hearing footsteps in the attic six months before. That's what I was thinking. It's probably been months. Yes. I mean, and even months while that other maid was there. Well, like right. a long time. This so, is a long-term living. Greater than six months. Yeah. So, um... Andreas also heard footsteps in the attic. He mm-hmm. went up there. He investigated. He didn't find anyone there in the moment that he checked. Did they have an escape route? I don't know. A hiding spot of some sort? A hiding like a spots. false wall or something? Exactly. That's that's possible. Which you would think you'd know about it in your own house. But how often they go up to the attic? Like maybe never. Mm-hmm. You know? I so. mean, people... You don't ever go up into our attic in our garage only to get Christmas decorations. Well, also, I'm not as handy. Yeah, and like especially in the far back too, you know, right. like where there's nowhere to walk that I know of. Yeah. yeah, and you know, they're on a farm. You mentioned somebody being handy. They've got barns and engine rooms and, you know, so it's not like they're probably keeping that much up in the attic that they're using on a daily basis. Yeah. It's probably like any house where you're not really accessing the attic. Yeah. Accessing? I always screw that up. <laughs> accessing yeah say accessing the attic very often so who knows emphasis on the wrong syllable (laughs) um so victoria had been a widow her husband died in world war one it's unknown who fathered her son joseph it was not her uh, her deceased husband Hmm. she had been in a relationship like i said with lorenz who was the one that discovered the bodies with the two other men interesting and both he and victoria referred to joseph as their child they had planned to get married, though Andreas intervened and the relationship ended. Lorenz ended up getting married to someone else, and their baby tragically died a few weeks after being born. Mm-hmm. Police focused their attention on Lorenz. They believed he had been traumatized by the sudden death of his baby and no longer wanted to pay child support for Joseph. So back then, you know, they weren't doing DNA tests to prove that Joseph was actually his son. Right. So apparently he did claim that this is my child and he was paying um the farm was located more than a lot of people are doing these days exactly so lorenz's farm was located a few hundred yards from the hinterkaifeck farm so not very far oh wow yeah not miles like yeah you would expect it right and those involved in the initial search party felt that he wasn't acting right like he was acting oddly and suspiciously he clearly knew his way around the farm He also acted very nonchalant about the bodies. He was handling them without signs of repulsion. Hmm. So that's something that kind of stands out. Because had you been in the house with these six bodies for days and days... You'd get used to them. Maybe you got a little used to the sight of them. Right. You know? So who knows? After questioning Lorenz extensively, the police were unable to place him on the scene at the scene of the crime. But, you know. Well, and there's no DNA test. And it's no. just like, you know, fingerprints. What would you. I don't even know if they had fingerprints in 1922. But he, he touched the bodies. Oh. When he was there. Yeah, that's why the crime scene was Yeah, so up. you could say, oh, yeah, of course my fingerprints are on them. And you know I, what? He could have moved them. He could have invited people over, too, and been mm-hmm. like, hey, come on over. There's dead people. You want to come see? You got to see this. Yeah. To, 
to further contaminate the crime scene. Eins, zwei, drei, vier. Huh. Yeah. It's wunderbar. Possible. Wunderbar. Not, yeah. not wunderbar. No. Nein, wunderbar. Non wunderbar. Nein. Nein. You took German. I did not. I, did. Yeah. I am German, though. Yeah. How about that? One day I'll get over there. Um, so, again, he was not placed at the scene of the crime, so it sounds like he was basically just dismissed as being a, a possible suspect. I think we can get him these days if we had... Uh, I, I would think so, for yeah. sure. I mean, who knows if they fought back? Were their DNA under their fingernails? Yeah. Probably. I'm sure. You know, Somewhere. four people that you killed in the barn. Did they ever find the um, hammer or whatever? That- we'll, uh, we'll, we'll go over that. Nice. So um, they Thematic. basically determined that his odd behavior could have been related to shock because they always say, you know, you can't tell, say what a person's reaction should be in a situation that is completely not normal. Sure. You can always say that. But at the same time, it's like, that's kind of suspicious. Yeah. Yeah. Sus, as you will. I was going to say sus. Mm-hmm. And then I kept it's on going. Kinda, yeah. <laughs> a little cringy. That's okay. Hey, <laughs> exactly. We, we know who we are. We're 43. <clears throat> I'm not I'm yet 43. 43. I'll be 43 in what? Two, three weeks, three yeah. weeks. Um, so they also thought, yes, he knew his way around the farm, but he had also been in a relationship with Victoria and right. he lived right there. And his baby and Victoria yeah. and that's a lot to handle. And it's very possible. That's why he knew his way around because obviously he had spent time there. Yeah. So police, spent a lot of time. this is a weird one. Police also believe that Victoria's deceased husband, Carl Gabriel was also a suspect. Came back from the dead. And murdered the family. And, wait, the the one he was dead at the time. So he reportedly died in France almost a decade earlier from a shell attack in December of 1914. War. Many other soldiers, yes, had attested to seeing his body. I don't know if it was like turtle shells, like in Mario or something. No, okay. it's during World War One. Okay. So um, many other soldiers had attested to seeing his body, though some reports said his body was never recovered and that he actually survived World War I. Uh-huh. The theory was that he came home, slaughtered the family after finding that Victoria had a second child with another man. Hmm. It's like, okay, that's silly. I mean, that's anything's possible, I suppose. And also, how could you be angered when he was presumed dead for almost 10 years? Hey, people aren't really rational all the time. I, mean, I think that was a silly theory. Yeah, that was kind of out there. Yeah. Some believe that Joseph was the son of Victoria and her father, Andreas, mm. and that one of the two killed the family and then turned the mattock on themselves. It's reported. Where are they? No, like say Andreas killed the rest of the family and then killed himself or Victoria did the same. I don't know if you can do a hammer and kill yourself. I wouldn't think so. I mean, that'd be really hard. Because you'd start hitting yourself, and then and they say when you try to kill yourself, like the last thing that goes through your head is like, I shouldn't do this or yeah. something. So you'd hit yourself and be like, okay, I'm done. It's instinct Unless, stop, I mean, right? although the person that did all this is insane. Clearly. So I, I guess anything's possible again. So it's reported that Lorenz Scheibauer reported Victoria and Andreas for incest on September 10th, 1919. Nice. Only two days after Joseph was born. Andreas was taken into custody on September 13th, 1919. Victoria was not. At her insistence, Lorenz withdrew his notification on September 25th, 1919, and recognized Joseph as his own son. So initially, he was saying it was Andreas' son. Andreas, weird, all kinds of weird stuff. I mean, I guess there's not a lot of entertainment to do, so people are just... That's sick. Ugh, gross. Andreas was released from custody September 27th, and... 
you know, none of the injuries really could have been self-inflicted. So the idea of a murder-suicide was dismissed. Andreas wasn't popular with the neighbors. They described him as greedy and cantankerous. (laughs) Cantankerous. Yeah, I actually saw that from, like, the mouths of the townspeople. Really? Yeah, it was, like, in reports all written up. It was kind of neat to see, like, the mailman's whole thing was written out. And, like, how he what he did on his route and how he saw Andreas by the well. He called him old Gruber is how he described him. (laughs) So it was clear that whoever committed these murders knew their way around a farm because they expertly kept up on the farming. You know, if you or I were plucked on a farm, I wouldn't know what to do. Uh, Nor would I care to milk the cows. Who gives a shit? But if you were put on a farm and had to take care of the cows because they're animals and then they need to be tended to. If I had some YouTube, yeah, but you don't have that Well, this is 1922. Right, right. I mean, I guess I could go up to their udders and figure out how to milk them. I got udders. Can you milk me? And then put some feed down on the ground would i know how to tend to the crops and things no no definitely i would not. not yeah but the person who was taking care of the farm in the days between the discoveries and the murders appeared to know what they were doing all these things yes hmm. however this is a farming town so <laughs> if anybody knows farming it's probably somebody in a farming town yes so that still leaves a lot of people that are possible. We're narrowing it down to everybody in this town. Yeah. <laughs> so it was likely someone that personally knew the family since the murders were so brutal. And it was someone that had a grudge against the family. Again, yeah. the brutality of what happened to all six of these people. There's a lot of hate. Especially the kids. Like maybe the, you know, mom and dad screwed or, you know, screwed you over somehow, whatever the adults but it's just like kids like you got to hate this family for what some reason in the world would baby Joseph and seven-year-old Kazilia have to do with anything that Andreas may or may not have done to slight you with his money or whatever. And also the new housekeeper has nothing to do with. Yeah, any she of this just crap. walked into the house that day. Yeah. She had nothing to do with anything related. It's probably just that they were there. Yeah. Witness witness. Mm-hmm. I mean, not that a two year old can say what happened, but you know, they didn't want to have to sit around and take care of a baby perhaps. Yeah. So who knows? So the case would close and reopen several times. Shortly after the autopsies were complete, their heads were were removed and sent to Munich, where clairvoyance tried to find metaphysical clues from the Gruber family skulls. Sounds crazy, but hey, at this point, they have no other leads. Yeah. So what the hell? So nothing came of that. The case was closed in 1955, though the last interrogations, like I said, were done in 1986. In 1923, a year after the murders, the Hinterkaifeck farm was demolished and the family was laid to rest in a nearby cemetery. They were buried without their heads, which ended up being lost in the chaos of World War II. So everybody's like, "Well, World War Two, uh oh, heads are lost." There's literally six people buried in that cemetery that have no heads. It's kind of a bizarre, sad thing to think about. A monument stands near where the farm used to be, memorializing the victims. Reports indicate that a pickaxe was found in the attic when the house was being demolished, and a pocket knife was found. So it's possible. I mean, the tool definitely matched what they thought was potentially used. Oh, that pickaxe thing? Mm Mm-hmm. So it was like a mattock? A mattock was found in the attic when the house was being demolished. Wow. Yep. Like I said, as well as a pocket knife. Why didn't they find it before the house was demolished? That's a good question. Like, what the hell are they doing all day? I don't know. Look around the whole damn house. I don't know. 
but huh. it was there. Okay. Whether or not that was a murder weapon, I'm or not Or somebody came sure. in another time and like Put threw it, it up there. there. Yeah. Very possible. Who knows? Um, a concrete shrine was also placed as a memorial in Wade Hoven Cemetery where the Grubers and Maria were laid to rest. And like I said, in 1999, that woman came forward. So she said that in 1935, her landlord at the time admitted to having information about the Hinterkaifeck murders. Again, she did not call until 1999. Landlord had already passed by that point. So she held on to that information. <laughs> Hi, police. Um, I'd like to get to know that my ex-landlord uh, has information. For 64 years. Oh, great. What, where, where can we talk to him? Oh, he's dead. Awesome lady. Thanks a lot. Oh, and when did he tell you this? Um, 64 years ago, back in 1935. Yeah. I mean, what's the point? I don't know. You know, at that time. By this time, yeah, it's over. Yeah, there's nothing they can do. Right. Um, In 2007, 15 prospective detectives from the University of Applied Sciences for Administration and Law in Furstenfeldbruck near Munich chose the Hinterkaifeck murder case as their final thesis. Mm. Police Academy took Hinterkaifeck murders as a cold case. Despite the loss of evidence from the original crime scene, they were unable to um, solve the murders, but apparently they came up with a theory, but they kept it private. (laughs) Okay. They said they kept it private to for respect for the families for those involved but i don't know that they really had other family this was in 1922 that they all were murdered this they did this research in 2007 well maybe there's cousins and nephews but they didn't know them wouldn't you think they'd want answers like you would know if you were related to this family of course you might say my great 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 whatever gruber they don't personally know them they're they're like you know but i i would want to know yeah what's your theory what is your theory what could have happened to my great 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 grandfather or whatever it's like me being like you know i've got a theory on this it's pretty solid i'm not gonna share it and obviously it wouldn't have been a great great grandfather but you know what i mean cousin whatever whatever relation it was exactly so to this day the case remains unsolved oh man i just found that it was just very eerie and creepy how the hell did you find that i've heard of it really and then so, I saw it on Reddit. Yeah. The just the word Hinterkaifeck murders. Uh-huh. And I was like, I know that. Yeah. And I looked into it and it's just the eeriness of that the fact that their first housekeeper quit because she heard things. Mm-hmm. Andreas heard things. The newspaper was there. The s- footsteps in the snow. Again, it was two sets of footsteps. So it's likely that it was probably two people that could have been involved in this. Mm so could be anything it sucks man unsolved ones really suck they really do suck and i'm realizing that i do most of the unsolved ones yeah i just found this very eerie that's why i wanted to cover it super eerie and yeah with somebody walking around upstairs and the fact that somebody could have been living in that house for over six months just scares the lights out of me as well as the fact that they stayed there for days. What was the the guy that was the father of uh, baby Joseph? Lorenz. Lorenz. So Lorenz may have like hung out there for a while listening to them and stuff and then knew to get out, you know, when they were going to come look upstairs or something. Because he knew their routine. Yeah, and go to their house. Like he, it's, knows? it's possible. Who knows? I'd hate to run anyone's name through the mud. He's my, he could my, be innocent, but he's the one that would stand out to me. Yeah, and I didn't like how he didn't really react when he was playing with the bodies or whatever. Yeah, that I find bizarre i yeah. mean 
I would be in utter shock and disbelief if I came upon six brutalized bodies. And he went through something terrible, you know. That his baby had just died. Yeah, which is not, you know, okay to go brutalize an entire family. No. But if something makes you snap, that might be it. And and again, I'd, I hate to, like, say that he could have been the one to do it, because I don't know. But then but... you also wonder what was Lorenz up to in the years afterwards. You know, did he ever do anything else? You know, that's, that's something else to think I about. I mean, it's not like there was a lot going on in that town. Right. It was a farming town. It's it's quiet. Yeah. You know? Yep. So that's the story of the Hinterkaifeck murders. Well, thank you very much for bringing that You're to our attention. You're welcome, Mike. Great job, as always. Well, thank you. Um, hey, everybody, thank you so much for listening. Uh, I want to shout out to our Patreons. We've got Colleen and Lily. And uh, Allison recorded the first bonus episode, Allison and I, but Allison yes. did all the research here. And uh, it was a good episode. So Yeah, it was the um, case, the missing case of Pr- Brandon Lawson, which it's very interesting. So if you want to support us yeah. and hear some bonus episodes we'd love to have you yeah go into the uh, show notes and click on the patreon link i think it says support our show or something and um yeah if you're on the ten dollars or above then you'll get access to the bonus shows so uh, and yeah and whether or not we change things we're all just we're learning this as we go who knows we'll it's see fluid agile yes, very fluid yeah you know just we're fast and quick and we're always open to suggestions too yeah oh man we're getting some suggestions so yeah keep on sending them our way we appreciate it so follow us on instagram crime and coffee too uh, Twitter as well. And um, yeah, thanks for your support. We really appreciate it. We're mm-hmm. growing quickly still. So thanks so much for listening. Yeah, thank you guys so much for being here. And we'll see you next time. All right. Cheers to you, Cheers. My, my dear. My love. Bye. You know me. Always go with the flow. <laughs> <laughs> Why is that funny? Uh, I don't know. Just thought of something funny, that's all. <laughs>